my biggest strength is how relatable and likable I can be. But I've used it in so many horrible, disgusting ways. I've used my gift to control people. I use my gift to get away with whatever the fuck I wanted. I use my gift to manipulate situations to make me look like the good guy. You're a scumbag. You're a liar. You're an alcoholic, addict, and a psychopath. I actually convinced myself that I was one of the good guys. I know it's in me somewhere, but it's buried. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because I was a piece of shit. I had a phenomenal upbringing. I was taught to live my life with morals, integrity, the whole nine yards. And unfortunately, you cannot teach the switch to flip off. When that switch turns on, it doesn't matter what you tell me, it doesn't matter what I learned when I was five years old, I will get high every single time because it is me, me, me. This is just a public service announcement to maybe some parents that are listening to this podcast. If you feel any guilt whatsoever of cut the shit right now, you are not the culprit. There's nothing in the world that you could have taught them better, told them better, showed them better, that was going to stop your child from getting high. I don't want to say I didn't, I wasn't thinking what I was doing was wrong. I thought I was just doing what I had to do to survive at the time. Please don't be mad at me. The days of hiding from my problems stop now. The days of giving up on myself stop now. The days of me destroying relationships just so I could feel something stop now. Even if we're monsters in our act of addiction and we can't fathom the shit we've done, we are all worth it. We are all worth it to see those sober days. Welcome to a new episode of An Addictive Perspective. If you like what you hear, please go in and subscribe so you know when the new episodes are coming out. Enjoy the episode. All right, well, welcome to, um, I guess we'll call it episode four of the podcast of An Addictive Perspective. We got Matt and we got Taylor here today. And today's episode, we're going to be answering mostly questions that we have received and just maybe discussing our thoughts on the podcast so far and maybe um, going into what direction we'd like to go to uh, in the future. Little spirit check episode. Exactly. Exactly. So without further ado, let's start out with what we're grateful for today and I'll let Matt kick us off. All right. Uh, so for today, what I'm grateful for, first off, is my sobriety. Uh, this this week's been kind of tough for me. Just uh, I didn't even realize it, you know, until yesterday. But just, you know, the weight of all this is uh, it's a lot to deal with. But thanks to the support that I have and uh, the avenues that I've been exercising, you know, I was able to get through another week sober. And that's the most important thing for me because without that I'm a fucking asshole and I don't want to be an asshole anymore so I'm thankful for all that awesome awesome Taylor what are you thankful for I'm going to piggyback off Matt because I mean I think for at least guys like us I mean it is the number one thing to be most grateful for is my sobriety another day another day above ground um and to go along with that, you know, I'm just grateful that 
I'm in a position today to carry the message and to possibly help other people maybe find their road to recovery. So that's what I'm most grateful for. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that um, I'll, I'll go into, you know, the cliche, what I'm grateful for, but I am grateful for my wonderful wife, Becca. She has no issues with me saying, I'm going to go do this podcast. And she's like, okay, you know, I got things I can do. And she's, she's a big supporter of the podcast. She supports you guys. You know that. And uh, Becca. (laughs) so, you know, shout out to Becca. She's the love of my life. And there's a reason for that because she's very supportive. Um, so yeah, Josh, we'll... and if you die, I call dibs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You, I mean, you call dibs, and it's going to be on a public forum. So I don't really know if, that's if why, anybody. That's why I did it. I don't think anybody's publicly called dibs. So dibs for me if Josh dies. <laughs> Place at the table. <laughs> <laughs> we eat. Big dogs eat. I will haunt you for the rest of your life. Let it dude, be known. Jo- dude, join the club. I got enough fucking ghosts. Yo, Matt, trust me. Becca does not like guys like you. I know it, dude. <laughs> Becca deserves so much better. Yeah, dude. Don't, don't shortchange her like that. You're right. I respect my dibs. I'm sorry, Becca. <laughs> so... A perfect transition into this episode is that, you know, I talked about Becca being super supportive of our podcast and we can only say thank you to the people who have been supporting us thus far. I think recently I checked, we're over a hundred, we're over 960 some listens to our podcast, which is absolutely insane. And, uh, we'll get a chance for the guys to thank you at the end here. We'll hold that till the end. But at this point, we have a couple supporters that have been reaching out um, in person to me um, and also through private messaging. So letting you guys know, send us questions, send us supportive messages. Don't be afraid to reach out. We'll try and respond to to the best of our ability. And we really do appreciate it because we like to take feedback and we like to know what we're doing right and maybe what we're doing wrong even. So we've taken criticism on both ends <clears throat> so we have a listener by the name of Brittany who supports us and sent us questions and the first question that i have listed here is for matt so it goes as follows do you think the joining of the navy contributed to your downward spiral because you had more freedom to do what you want because you had less scrutiny from family and friends back home. All right, so let's paint a picture here. Uh, when I was 18, I as soon as I got out of high school, I was commuting till I come in college, and uh, I was a student there, and I dropped out, and a lot of that was due to just my alcoholism. Then, you know, I was I didn't care about school or anything else. And uh, kind of use the Navy as like I had an idea of like if I all if I just worked, you know, I would be all right. I'd be able to just I wouldn't have to write essays and do homework and do all the stuff that a college kid has to do. And I also had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and didn't want to be in my hometown or around it anymore. So when I joined the Navy, um, I had ever I didn't really know what I wanted. I was just you know a kid trying to find my path. And with that, 
did come some a little leeway from my parents and you know I had a paycheck so I had the money to do whatever I really wanted to do but I was also I had a responsibility to go to work every day and uh, operate and go on deployments and do a bunch of things at 18 19 years old that a lot of people don't get to do so as far as do I think it contributed maybe but I don't know if it really made much of a difference and as far as a negative impact, I like to think of my Navy experience more as like, uh, it, it kind of taught me how to be a functioning alcoholic, but I was an alcoholic before I joined the Navy. Probably, you know, I was, and, uh, like I, I've alluded to it in past podcasts. Uh, there's people that I served with that, you know, have similar issues to me or have similar behaviors. Let's say, but they might deal with them a little better, a little worse. Uh, that's up to them to decide. But there's also people that I served with that are completely fine and don't really even drink. and Or if they do, they do it more responsibly than I did. So pretty much from the word go on my first deployment, um, first port I hit, I blacked out. <laughs> you know, So the way I was drinking, uh, that was not – I don't think it was a product of the Navy per se. I mean, I think that some of the depression and – the way that I isolate and everything like that, I think that that possibly could be from the Navy. Because if you, for those of you who have ever been on a ship before, you don't really get a lot of you time. You know, there's a lot of you're kind of forced to socially interact with all the time. Like there's no privacy. So definitely, when we would come back from being out to sea, I would isolate and just drink by myself. But where those problems started or ended, I'm not going to blame the Navy for that. You know, that was a uh, that was part of my condition, part of uh, who I am. And uh, it led me to a lot more good things than it did bad, I'll say. I would also say that going into the military for you maybe helped you mature and that there could be a positive spin on what the Navy did for you that maybe it helped you understand that you do need to get sober. Maybe without getting into the military, you wouldn't have had that maturity um, to realize and that you need to be more disciplined. Yeah, I mean, it definitely holds you to a certain standard of like, <clears throat> you know, I, de- I never wanted to be the guy that even when I was talking to my old, like, you know, commanders or whatever, I never wanted to be the guy that was like, I always wanted to have something good to tell them. So even during my active use and active addiction, I'm like, I still had, I still had things going for me. It just, uh, so I, I think that there's some truth to that, that I always kind of held myself to a certain standard of like, you need to perform like, and that probably, inst- I mean, it instilled a lot of things in me. Um, you know, I'm hardly ever late for work. You know, that's one of the things I was late for work a good, good amount in the Navy and uh, they kind of beat that out of me. You know, So like I said, like there's any experience you go through. You can look at negatives and positives, but I think it was probably the right move for me in the end. As far as it giving me more freedom and everything, I honestly think it's the thing that saved me from being a heroin addict. You know, if I would have been around here, I mean, you see the the boom and all of that that we had. You know, I got drug tested when I was in the Navy, so it kind of kept me, steered me more towards alcohol and less towards drugs, let's say. So, uh you know, that was what I was allowed to do. So that's the vice I chose. And that's, uh, that's my biggest one. So, okay. All right. I do, um, think that there is a correlation with 
veterans and alcoholism. Um, I know that it's. Oh, dude, that's well documented. Yeah. So, yeah. So it could be, there could be some truth there. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So we'll move on to the next question. Thank you for that answer, Matt. Next, next question is for myself. And it says that Josh on a scale of one being the least to 10 being the most, how defeating would you say it is for you to watch someone you care about struggle? So I would say that in the moment, like in the, in the infancy stages of watching people struggle, uh, we'll, we'll keep Taylor and Matt in this. We'll keep it at that level, but it's not that bad when, when you're, when you're seeing it in the infancy stages and maybe it's because I didn't realize how bad it was. And then there's that developing snowball effect of the disease. And I mean, like Matt said in the one episode, it's not like he just chose, woke up once morning and said, I'm going to take a stick of dynamite to my life. This is something that progresses over time. You know, Taylor didn't just start shitting in buckets in a trailer in the woods and have nobody around him anymore. It's not like that is how it happened. So I think, in the beginning, it's not so hard. And then when you're completely maybe blind to it, it's definitely not difficult. It's once you understand what was happening and it's too late, that's when you go through these weird emotions and you kind of try and take ownership of it. Like, why didn't I see it before? You know, but I realize now that I have people in my life that are sober that you can't take ownership for their actions. And if I had to put a rating on it from a one being the least to a 10, I'd probably say, if I'm being honest, a seven or an eight, only because a 10 would be the person being dead. So if you're going to have it at that rating scale, that's probably where I would put it, to be honest. Um, but I hope that answers that question. Um, I tried to answer it to the best of my ability there. Keep it short and brief. Now, Joe, I think that was a pro- I That's honestly, even like from my perspective, when I have witnessed it um, firsthand in sobriety, that's where I would probably definitely, I definitely want to get near a 10, but definitely a 7, 8, because like Josh alluded to early on, I mean, I, I at least so for me, with Josh looking in on, you know, how my progression through addiction looked, you know, I, I did the best to hide the really bad stuff for so long that you really don't get the full picture of the full spectrum of like how bad this shit really got until like Josh said, it's too late and they're like at the end of the ropes. So I, I definitely, I would agree with you a hundred percent, Josh. I think that's definitely an appropriate uh, grading for a seven or eight. Yeah. And like we talked about before it, it, when you're, when you're in your active addiction, you kind of hide it, like you said, and you surround yourself with people who are going to either a make you feel better or B it's going to keep you camouflaged because they're either doing worse than you, Sam or you, or they're completely fine with your behaviors and you're not going back to the people who know you truthfully, I think, in most cases, not all the time. But Taylor, that goes perfectly into the next question um, that Brittany has for you. 
And it's, do you feel that it is a different kind of pain to watch someone struggle and want to help them when you have already experienced what they are going through? Or do you feel it's harder when you can't relate? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a great question. I would say um, it's equally difficult on both ends or both sides of the fence. Um, I mean, I, so for myself, I would definitely say that the pain for me, and it's not so much, especially now, a pain to watch see someone struggle. It's more of having empathy, um, you know, especially doing what I do for a profession. And I really see a lot of people on a daily basis that are in the midst of addiction, who are strung out, who are still using, who are coming off, who are trying to kick the habit, who are coming down off of booze. And it really, and it's not so much like, I, I, I remember what it felt like to withdraw. I remember what it felt like to be without drugs. And I know, and I can obviously relate with the physical pain, but I think the pain or the empathy that I experience now for people in addiction is I, I relate a lot easier to their emotional pain. Um, And, you know, especially what Matt's going through now and what he talks about, you know, trying to, you know, try to trying to fill that hole in their soul and, that's that's the pain that I feel for other people because you know it, it's one thing to to go through withdrawal due to having a physical dependence on something, but it's another thing to deal with the fact that you have no self esteem, no self worth. You really have the unknown of what's going to happen to you is still up in the air. You could die. You could get clean. You could be in an active addiction for another 20 years, suffering every minute of the day. Um, And just the emotional turmoil that the disease of addiction just runs rampant on you is, is definitely the pain that I feel the most when I'm working with another alcoholic or addict who's still in addiction however though that pain is a lot lessened or the angst is much easier for me because i have the solution and that ties into you know what Brittany asked on the other side of the fence is is it harder when you can't relate um and like i said i think both are tough but you know i can almost venture to say that maybe the people that can't relate probably feel probably a sheer, like a larger sheer amount of pain. Cause it's, you know, emotional. Um, but like I said, I have the solution. I know what works. I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel and I know there's hope, but the people that have never dealt with disease of addiction, you know, not only don't they know, what that emotional pain feels like, they don't have the solution to offer them to get clean. And I think that is really troublesome for family members and people looking on the outside in with people struggling with addiction, because not only can't you relate 
to what their day-to-day lifestyle looks like, but you also don't know how to get them um, into a, you know, road to recovery. And that's why, you know, I think that's why one of the purposes for this podcast is. I know that's why there's community services out there. Um, And I think that's why it's important that if somebody really cannot relate to what a friend, family member, coworker, acquaintance is dealing with, they have to reach out to somebody who's actually been in the thick of things in order to offer them a solution. Because pain is going to be pain, and the pain is going to get great enough, and it's going to get greater and greater and greater until they find that solution. Not the solution just to not shoot dope and smoke crack every day, but the solution to fill that emptiness that's left in their soul that is the grim reaper of drug addiction and alcoholism. Reach! (laughs) That's a beautiful uh, response to the question, I feel, Taylor. And I think, I kind of wanted to ask this part, um, add a little bit to her question. Does helping others in the current position that you have relate to helping other people within the recovery community as far as the group process like non-work commitments versus actual work commitments do you still get the same kind of help from it are you saying for like, yourself are you saying like the the fellowship that i fought like follow their service work is it yes. like the same as like the professional side of the service work do you feel like you get something from working for your own recovery the same as you do with your committal stuff within your fellowship um i would yes i would um and i i'm not sure maybe when i started the job and stuff like i don't i'm not sure if i did feel that way at the beginning but sitting here now um And it's kind of like, just because I kind of know my purpose today is to help other alcoholics and addicts, and that was something that was taught to me within the fellowship that I choose to uh, associate with and, you know, learn from. But, like, my, we learned that we have to carry the principles we learn in the fellowship into our daily lives. And it just so happens that my daily life consists of being a profession that deals with sick and suffering alcoholics and addicts. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm helping somebody at, at a meeting or helping somebody at the hospital or helping someone who calls our, you know, on call number and wants to go into treatment. I, I sitting here in the position I am today, um, Anybody, no matter if it's through direct service work through a fellowship or direct service work through an employer, it's still equally satisfying on my end because ultimately I know that that's my purpose for myself, at least for today. Um, and in this current position of my life is, you know, I it doesn't matter. I just got to help the next alcoholic and addict who's still suffering. So if that's in a professional capacity, so be it. And if it's on a non-professional capacity, so be it. Perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I know that you mentioned <clears throat> that 
you mentioned Matt in there in your answer and, and knowing what he's dealing with and the things that he's going through. So the next question we'll transition to is right into Matt's question. That is also from Brittany. A lot of these questions are from Brittany. I think only one is not. So, um, Matt, you mentioned Shouts out, Brittany. <laughs> Matt, you mentioned things you have lost due to your addiction. Would you change anything in your past knowing it would change where you're at today? See, I don't even know how to answer this question because if I say I wouldn't change anything, then I, I think I'm a complete sociopath because the fact is that uh, decisions that I made hurt other people, you know, and I definitely wish that I could take that pain away from them and for myself, honestly. You know, nobody wants to be in a position where you're feeling pain or where you have that hole in your soul feeling. But with that said, um, it's kind of irrelevant because I can't change it. You know, I can't change anything. The only thing that I can do and like where I where I get in trouble is, um, you know, I'll, I'll start dwelling on the past or whatever. And, you know, wishing I could change things and kind of daydreaming about like what things would be like if I could or did or whatever and then before you know it i'm projecting to the future and i'm in this whole mental state where it's like i'm driving myself crazy and when i do that i get more depressed and when i get depressed you know it's going to cause me to drink again and the person that made those mistakes and did that shit that i regret and stuff he's going to come back so it's irrelevant really you know like, like taylor said it a bunch of times and it's the truest thing is me people like me and taylor we have to take things day by day and do the next or do the next right thing for the next right reason. And those two things, you know, the second part's just as important as the first part. You know, I could do a bunch of things that uh, I think are the right thing, but what's, what's really my reasoning behind it? You know, is it for my own personal gain? Is it for, you know, to boost my ego? Is it, you know, it's a lot of things. So basically what I'm saying is uh, as far as that question goes, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it doesn't, right. you know, it's, it's like I have to just stay into trying to trying to be, you know, trying to be the best version of myself today. And, you know, when I wake up tomorrow, ask for help when I need it. And uh, honestly, you know, if the whole ask for help thing is the hardest part of all this. And if the last night I was at a uh, I went to two meetings yesterday and during the middle of the second meeting, I got the strongest urge I've had in my sobriety to just say, fuck it and drink. You know, I did. I got, I got down, I got depressed and uh, I was in my head all day. And uh, if it wasn't for that, that meeting and then me making the appropriate calls afterwards, I would have. So, you know, I'm thankful that my experiences have taught me that I can't do this on my own because when you reach out for help, you know, you find better solutions and I was able to uh, get through last night and woke up today and do the things I needed to do. So shout out to recovery. Shout out. Shouts out recovery. You know, it. I think it goes back to uh, the story that we told about Taylor sharing at the youth um, that I brought him to early in his recovery for the county that I worked for. And um, his the one thing that he was getting hung up on Taylor, you correct me if I'm wrong, was really the, the grandparents that, you know, your two grandmothers in that situation. If you go back to Taylor's story, you can hear all about it. But I think, I think it was something that Taylor was hung up on for a long time. And, uh, you know, a kid told him, you know, well, what are you doing now to change it for your mother, your own mother and do it for your grandparents who aren't here, but your mother's still here and you can make a difference there. And I think that's, that's a really cool outlook for, 
that Taylor got from just a random teenager one day. And it's true, though, you know, you can screw up as many times as you want. And like you're saying, it's irrelevant now because it happened. But you have so much going for yourself. And, and, you know, that stuff that's happened in the past now doesn't matter because you're doing everything you need to do now. And I think that's something that, you know, you can change. You can change for the better and it'll help you and your loved ones, you know, heal, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude. And part of all this is like you just have to kind of have take the take the uh, leap of faith, if you will, that as long as I do like what I'm supposed to do and I tried and I tried my best to do everything I can to be the best version of myself, that maybe the things that I want right now, you know, won't come to fruition, but the things that I need will, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like you like I, I know I know what happens the other way. You know, I know what happens when I put myself first as far as like my ego and everything else and I start drinking and I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to be the person that gave you that FaceTime to you that day. You know what I mean? And that's uh, that's one of those things that I keep to the forefront of my brain because I don't as much as much work as I've done and everything. I still have a, a lot of work to do and it is a day to day process and you know, if, you, if whenever I need help, I have the uh, people to reach out to and the uh, tools to get it. And it's up to me to uh, continue to do that. And I, things have gotten in mentally, at least, uh, better. But it doesn't mean that every day is all sunshine and rainbows. Like there's a reason why you know, there's a reason why they call this a disease. And it's not it's not easy to manage, you know, and you, it's tricky. Yeah. Because I didn't even, you know, I didn't even realize I was really down until uh, I was halfway through my meeting yesterday. And then I was got a sudden urge to drink. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And it, it, it sneaks up on you real quick. And it kind of, it scared me a little bit yesterday. But uh, we got through it. You know, we're here. We're still <laughs> sober. You know. Big <laughs> trust. <laughs> Big trust, baby. <laughs> you know? Matt, Maddie, I stayed locked up. <laughs> He didn't come back to life. <laughs> yeah, we killed that motherfucker. We he's dead. So it goes it goes really well into this next question. It's um for me. It says, Josh, what is the most influential to you about the recovery process for an outsider? And <clears throat> I think the one main component is that it's not just alcoholism or addiction a majority of the time. A, a lot of times it's you know, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's um, so many things piled up on top of the disease that you have to, that individual has to work through. And to honestly, a lot of people have been there. A lot of people have been there where they, they drink and they party for a whole weekend. And there's a reason that they came up with this term Sunday scaries. And you start to think about all the things that happened over the weekend and things that you're maybe regretting or, you know, you're coming down off of whatever you had been doing and you have the craziest hangover and you're depressed and you're anxious and all that stuff. You know, take that feeling and multiply it times 50. And that's what these people are going through, you know. And then not only that, they have to when you're working a program, you have to go back and face all those demons. And for someone like me, I think that when I, when I saw this question, I thought of like what I would have to do 
and how hard it would be for me to work on myself. And I think the ability to not be a people pleaser anymore um, and the ability to not um, to, to acknowledge that you have to remove yourself from a situation that could be detrimental to your sobriety and your recovery, you know, that, that switch to know, okay, I got to get myself out of the situation or, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling down right now, like you said, Matt, and, and to be able to say, I probably am going to have a problem here and to get that feeling of being hung up and stuck to be able to say, okay, I, to swallow your ego and say, I need to call somebody and talk this through. Um, those are the things. And I think a real big portion for me is the social worker in me has to give this, uh, give the props to the people in recovery that commit to the fellowship part of recovery and being able to dedicate their own time to taking ownership and, you know, dwelling on the hardships of recovery with each other. And, you know, as men, you know, we go back on this. I would love to have a female perspective on this, by the way. I want to bring someone on um, that can give us kind of a different perspective. But as men, um, it's hard. It's really hard for us to talk through feelings. For everyone, it's hard to talk through feelings. But as men, you're taught to keep it in and typically, especially from our area, but to be able to share those emotional um, portions of yourself and be vulnerable, I think that's that's pretty much like the the thing that I think is the most influential to me. And uh, it definitely inspires me. Um, but I'd say that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. Also, I'm great. I forgot to say I'm grateful for my psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> she she's the real homie, dude. We got we talked through some stuff. Shout out mental know. illness. Yeah, shouts out mental <laughs> illness. <laughs> hey, it's gonna fight. It's gonna fight you and wins. You might as well fight back. You feel me? <laughs> little, little Floyd Mather, little Floyd Mayweather dodge left hook. R.I.P. R.I.P. Hagler. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, next question goes to Matt and Taylor. So it's a combo. I am going to let Taylor answer first, since Matt just had a question, and then ta- Matt can dwell on a little bit while Taylor answers. So how do you feel towards um, groups for spouses and families who live with addictive personalities? Um, so I'm guessing what she's asking here is um, how do you feel towards programs um, that are built to help um, families that went through this? Um, I would say it probably like an Al-Anon or something like that, um, that, how, how do you feel towards those programs? Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely think she's pointing in the direction of, like, Al-Anon and Aranon. It's a great idea. I mean, if you look at it from the other side of things, I mean, why are fellowships um, so effective? Because you're getting like-minded people, people with the same problems in the same rooms. Why do me and Matt go and hang out and talk to and get advice from other alcoholics and addicts because they've been there. So I think, yeah, it's not only it's a great idea. I think it would be a very significant, maybe coping tool um, for those people. Because like I said, you're getting around other people who are probably have daughters, sons, uncles, husbands, that are in active addiction or alcoholism and you're being around those people and 
you're ta- you're hearing about what's going on with them and what their son has done and you know what's my son doing and he's causing all this you know and it, it's almost why why that stuff is so beneficial is I think that at least for me um, sometimes I thought I was going through problems no other people have had is egotistical as that sounds or naive or foolish you know a lot of the problems that i've brought up to guys that know a lot more than me about recovery you know i thought i was maybe unique and you know little did i find out that tons of people go through the same shit i'm going through um and it's it's the same side of the coin for you know the family members who are trying to find something some little strand of coping mechanism that can help them not only understand why their loved one might be doing um, the things they are doing, but also hearing other people that are going through the same struggle as you, you know, that's the beauty is being around like-minded people wanting the same solution. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend that. I like that answer. Matt, what'd you do? Just get your chips and salsa sent to your table or what? It sounds like you're freaking eating a four course meal. No, nah, dude, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm over here. I'm all right. Uh, I was yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. To be it quiet. wasn't working. It was not working. My bad. Dude. I was paying Taylor back for his fucking breathing. Put down the pretzel stick. Yeah, at least, I, at least I wasn't eating on the Dude, I'm getting. You're good. Go ahead. The, just going off this question. Because Matt alluded to it. This is just a public service announcement to maybe some parents that are listening to this podcast. If you feel any guilt whatsoever for your child, for your brother, whoever the case might be, addiction or downfall or spiral of the life, cut the shit right now. Um, unless you unless you literally put a needle in your kid's arm and got them high for the first time, you are not the culprit. There's nothing in the world that you could have taught them better, told them better, showed them better. That was going to stop your child from getting high. I don't give a fuck. If my, my mom tells me, you know what, Taylor, it's probably not a good idea to rob your grandma. Well, guess what, mom? Fuck off. Because that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to rob my gram. And now for you bringing that up, I'm going to rob you too. And you know what I'm going to do with this shit? I'm going to probably sell it for a 20th of what it's worth. And I'm going to throw it in a rig and get high. So anybody that is feeling guilt, feeling grief, feeling shameful of why their child or sister or brother might end up in in the predicament they're in today, or even if they got sober and you're feeling some kind of guilt still, just please stop. I promise you from firsthand, um, I had a phenomenal upbringing. I was taught to live my life with morals, integrity, the whole nine yards. And unfortunately, you cannot teach the switch to flip off. Um, Because when that switch turns on it's full it's full speed ahead it doesn't matter what you tell me it doesn't matter what i learned when i was five years old doesn't matter what 
you taught me when I was 10 years old and I was, you know, life lesson, I will get high every single time because it is me, 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 and not you, you, you. So. All right. Well, you heard it there first. I think. Amen to that. Mom and dad, you did a great job. This is on me. I, I would, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of agreeing that goes on on this podcast. Obviously, because we're all friends and we share similar thoughts. I do think, though, that there is from from my background and my education and my life experience and doing child welfare work, there's definitely sometimes that it does happen where it's a cycle of addiction and, uh, you know, things like that, that kids do grow up around it and they do fall into it and they're more likely to fall into it. Um, so I think that this is just a perfect time to add on to the public service announcement that if you do feel guilt, if you do feel some kind of pit in your stomach, like you could have done something differently, or you're, you're really going through tough times. Um, I would just check out Al dot it's AL dash Anon, A N O N.org. And you can click on the English option. You can share your location and you can look up meetings in your area. If you want to find places nearby and the time frames that they are doing meetings um, with COVID-19, it may be a little bit different, but um, you can go to that website and it's al-anon.org. Anyways, that's our public service announcement for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next question's for uh, me once again, Josh, do you feel like you are, you are prepared to scoop up a friend who relapses? Like, do you have a plan for a scenario like that? So I would say that I definitely do not have a to-go bag or something like that. Um, but I do, uh, I do 100% think that, um, Look at your friend group, Josh. You might want to get one. That's like jumping out of a place without a parachute, dude. Yeah, you might want to throw it in the trunk just in case. Oh, man. So I would say I have been blessed with a very large support group in my own personal life that if one of these guys needed me to come and pick them up from a situation, I would definitely be there. If they call me, they know I'm going to answer 100%. Um, I don't think they have a doubt in their mind about that. Um, I would say that I personally would never place my wife or daughter in danger, but if I was needed and it was appropriate while not enabling their behaviors, then I would definitely be there. Um, I know I've offered to pick up Taylor in the past, probably like that had to have been like 2009, 2010, um, I remember Taylor, you called me from a party. I don't even know if you remember it, um, but you were barely able to speak. From the year, yeah, so so I I was trying to pull into my my parents' house, and you got this weird. I had this weird phone call from you. And you were like, <laughs> I was like, oh, he's messed <laughs> up. And I I you hung up, and then I texted you. I said, listen, I'm gonna come pick you up. And this is how Taylor camouflaged Taylor. You were like a chameleon, dude. You called me right back and you're like, hey, hey, dude, I'm fine. I'm good. Like, you don't need to come get me. I'm like, tell me where the fuck you are. I'm going to come get you. No, dude, dude, don't. I'm fine. I'm completely fine. You went from like, to I'm fine. I'm completely fine. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody found the coke. That's what happened. (laughs) But uh, to answer the question, 
um, I do feel like I'm prepared to help other people out. I know that I definitely am more of on the tough love um, spectrum, not completely tough love. I definitely have a soft spot for people who are having issues with addiction and alcoholism and things like that. I do know that I had a buddy in college once that um, wrecked his car while he was drunk driving and uh, he knew I had the day off and he wanted me to help him find a new vehicle. And I said, absolutely not. Like, I'm not, no. I said, you need, you got to figure other shit out. Not having a car is the least of your worries right now, man. You got to figure it out. And uh, I actually lost that friend. Uh, we, we, didn't speak after that because he felt like I should have helped him, but that's just kind of uh, go off of which side of the spectrum I would be on. If, if, you know, one of these guys really fucked up and put themselves in a hole, I would have to take a step back and really look at it and say, is it beneficial to their recovery for me to help them at that point? But that just comes with experience. I think from what I've seen in my life. So play answered that question. Um, Taylor, next question is like a, is a piggyback off of um, that question I just got. So it says, Taylor, is um, – so it goes off of the question, and I'll read you a question she had for me. Do you ever feel like you are uh, prepared to scoop up a friend who relapses? And this one says, is that a contrib- – Taylor, is that a contributing factor for you in your recovery that people who care about you have this sitting in the back – in a back burner waiting just in case? that most people don't really concern themselves with. So I think the question is, is that a contributing thing that people can't worry about you? Basically, I think to dumb that question no, yeah, down a little I, bit, honestly, when I read that first, Josh, so listen, I've been, especially dealing with recovery. I've been probably been asked every question I could think of. I've been asked a lot of the same questions a million times. This is the first time i've ever seen this question at least posed to me like this um and i kind of i kind of had to think about it for a little bit because especially now that i have a son and wife right and especially now that all my family members are we're close again but is it a contributing factor for my personal recovery? The answer would be no. And I tell you this why. First of all, I since I got sober, um, I, I kind of pride myself because I was always not only in active addiction did I lie about everything. Um, even stuff I didn't have to lie about, I lied about. Um, I was never reliable. I was never, I never had the capacity to back up anything I said. Um, so moving forward, and this is something I told my wife, you know, when we first started dating, um, this is something I've told my parents. The one thing I will never promise any of you guys is that I'll never use again. Cause I don't know. That, that would be an unjust promise on my end, because I really don't know. However, is, is it a factor for myself to kind of have that self-sabotage in the back of my head? Not only don't I find that conducive, is I kind of look at it as, okay, if I sit in a barber shop long enough, I'm going to get my hair cut. 
if I have this deep pit, and I, I don't I don't want you to get it twisted because yes, probably three, six, nine months I had sober. There was a little part of me that was like, okay, Taylor, when are you going to mess this up? It's in- inevitable that you get high again. And it never happened because I did the stuff I had to do. But the reason why I say no to this question is I can't, first of all, I can't think like that. Because I'll tell you this point blank. I don't have another run in me. Like the whole contingency plan, the whole parachute. You better hope I don't die when I go back out because I don't like, listen, if I go back out, I'm ghosting everybody. You know, the minute I throw that first substance in my body, I don't give a fuck about my son anymore. I don't care about my wife. I don't care about my mom. I don't care about my dad. And it's not going to be like this gradual buildup of, oh, Taylor drinks a couple beers. Oh, you know, look at Taylor go. Taylor is running to the first crack dealer he can find in Dope Dealer. And I'm going to empty out every single penny I have into my arm. There's no contingency plan for that. You better just hope I don't die. And you better hope that pain is big enough that I decide on my own reconnaissance I want to get help. Because trust me, there is no parachute big enough in this world that's going to save me from a free fall that I don't want to stop falling from. If I want to continually get high day in, day out, it doesn't matter what I have in this world. There is no contingency plan ready for that. I don't care what it is. Um, it's a very valid question. Like I said, I've, I, it's never been posed to me like that. Um, but it, it, the reason why it's no long story short is I, I, I can't, I can't put my, myself in a position to think like that. Now it's, it's not me saying I'm on top of this world and I have this huge, massive amount of sobriety armor on me because I do try to practice humility today. I do recognize that I'm just as liable to get high tonight than I was when I had 24 hours sober. The only difference is that those tools I've acquired and I know that if I continue to do the stuff I have been doing and not just that improve the stuff I've been doing there's a really 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 good chance that Taylor never has to pick up again but if he does no parachute saving that I think that that's a very powerful message that you just portrayed and I think the big thing that would come of someone who's just listening to this and doesn't really have an experience with addiction or themselves or with a family member, which is highly unlikely, but it, it is the case, you know, that you, you have this five plus years of sobriety and you say, I can't promise that I'll never pick up again in which I know that's the way it's handled. And that's the way the thought process is. But for someone who may just be not just getting into this podcast and listening, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you know, for a fact that if you pick up, even if you were to say, oh, I'll drink a beer, you could potentially within a 12 hour time frame, maybe even shorter, wake up with a needle hanging out of your arm. And that's that's the scary part about this disease. And Matt, you're you're kind of I'm going to I'm going to 
put you on the spot because you're newer to the recovery game. I think that, you know, you got people probably, I think Taylor would agree with this, that early on in the game, I think this is more of a factor of, you know, people having that plan in place if something were to happen. Um, I think that kind of dwindles down a little bit the more time you get in, which it shouldn't, as the message just got portrayed by Taylor, that it could happen at any moment. It doesn't matter how much time you've got in. Um, you hear about it all the time, people with 20 years, 15 years sobriety that end up picking up again. And, um, you know, it's just – it's kind of a never-ending one day at a time. That's the, that's the quote. It's cliche, but that's the truth. Um, your thoughts on the question um, that Taylor was given on people having kind of like a contingency plan to pick you up and haul you off if they need to? No. I mean, look, a lot of the stuff that I did, I didn't – I did and like – without people knowing and I'm me. I mean, me and Taylor are built very similarly, you know, we just chose different substances or, you know, took a little bit of a different path, but uh, guys, I have no, I have no, like if I, if I decide to drink again, I'm not drinking a six pack. That's like, I, I'm ended up, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm buying a one way ticket somewhere and I'm, I'm going off the grid, you know, and that's how I think. And that's, that's the scariest part of all of this is like, yeah, maybe, you know, a lot of people think like, Oh, maybe I can learn to control it. Like I know that I know that I can't, like, I know that I am as soon as that substance gets in my body that I am a different person. And I'm, it might not, I might be, uh, you know, happy, charming, whatever one minute, but I'm out of control the next and whatever happens in between, I, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going to, you know, the thing is, is that when that shit enters my body, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's, just, and the results, they prove that it's, it may, you know, it might not be every time, but uh, at some point I'm going to do something that's going to hurt somebody. And it's typically somebody that I care about or somebody that's close to me or people that are close to me. So I don't have any contingency plan. Like I can't, like Taylor said, we can't even, I can't, I'm not I'm not doing this to try to learn how to manage it. I'm doing this to like learn how to manage yeah. being sober. You know. I think and, that uh, the the biggest pull from that question that I had heard personally and um you can correct me once again always correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it's it's more so we're not the people when I say we like for me I'm I'm a friend of your guys's and I'm one of those people on the outside looking in at your recovery and worrying about you guys you know and it's I think it's more so it, you can't you can't think about other people worrying about you because it's about you and your recovery it's not about what other people are thinking it's not about what other people are worrying about it's not any of that it's about you and what you need to do you've accepted you have a problem you got to work on the problem every single day yeah, and as long as we do things that you know we need to do, and we're doing them for the right thing or reasons, you know things will things will work out. Like like I said, it might not be the things that right now I want or right now Taylor wants or whatever, but you kind of just have to trust that they're there. That's how that's happening for a reason, and you can only kind of take care of your end of things, and then you know kind of see what happens. But as far as people worrying about me, I mean, I know my family's worried about me. Why why wouldn't you be? I'm two months <laughs> yep. sober. You know, like why wouldn't why wouldn't Taylor's parents like be somewhat worried about him? You know, after what? Why wouldn't our the people that are close to us be like even if they're not like super worried about us, not have sure. that in the back of their heads a little bit? But if me and Ta if me and Taylor think about that nonstop, 
you know, it's just going to, it's bringing up feelings that are going to cause us to go the way we don't want to go. So we have to focus on right. doing the right thing and doing it for the right reason. And I mean, you, you're going to, everybody, you're going to hear <laughs> us repeat ourselves a lot on this, but you know, like you are, but a lot of, a lot of the principles boil down to a, a couple one-liners and that's kind yeah, of what yeah, helps I think me learn it's, it, so. it's simplifying the, the complex, the complexities of the disease. So, um, Next question yep. would be for me, and it's uh, Josh being in social services. I assume experience. Um, I assume you experience cases where you work with individuals who struggle or live in homes that have individuals affected by struggle. Would you say that it is harder to try to help the stranger struggling or a friend struggling? Um. So I thought about this question a little bit, and <clears throat> I would say that. Uh, clearly when you have a loved one or a friend dealing with this, um, uh, you know, addiction and alcoholism, it's always going to, you know, hit home hard and very, very hard and very, very fast. But I, I would say that whenever children are involved, it's, it's super difficult. Um, especially for me, knowing how much it can mess up their future um, relationships and successes and how it can really kind of just put a hindrance on personal growth. Um, I would say that with friends, it is more difficult to um, walk the line of being there and, and, and being an enabler. So I think with friends, you have to come from a perspective of empowerment versus enabling. Um, those are the two E's that you kind of need to make sure you're, you're not fucking up as a friend. You know, that empowerment versus the enabling. Um, as far as social services goes, uh, I'm there as a part of a job, especially when I was in child welfare. I was there to protect the kids. That was my number one priority, make sure the kids are safe. So I think when you go in and you know you're 100% acknowledging that, okay, these people have a problem. They can't raise their children right now because they're in such a bad part of their active addiction. I just piss tested them they tested hot for you know everything it's almost like they just put their hand in a bowl of pills over the weekend and just said fuck it um they basically melt the cup then you got to take their kids away from them which is difficult but you know at the same time you're really just doing your job and you kind of have to put on this like facade um while you're doing it uh you take stuff home but at the same time i would say that working with your friends is is a little bit just because um, it's, it's that personal level. It's just, it's just bias, I guess. Um, so I think we, we answered a lot of the a majority of the questions that Brittany sent. I think we actually answered them all except for the last one. I want to save this one for, for last here. Um, so we can end on more of a positive note, hopefully. And this question is for both Matt and Taylor and the questions written as this Matt and Taylor, what are some positive addictions you have taken from this life? So I guess I'll let you guys answer the question. If you have trouble kind of um, dissecting the question, I think I have a idea of what she means, but I'll let Taylor um, go first. All right. I'm going to say that I'm going to go with the assumption that she's saying like, what positive addictions do I have now? Kind of like replacing that void of drugs and alcohol. Um, and honestly, and this is, this is another good question because that's one of the things like 
when I first got sober, even like when I was in active addiction, maybe considering sobriety was something that really freaked me out because like, I didn't really know how my life was composed without drugs or alcohol, partying, that lifestyle, that scene in it. Um, but I, I kept it real with myself. Like, I knew I was never going to be able to, like, okay, we're going to we're gonna stop shooting dope and drinking wine. Um, and we are going to go to a 9-to-5 job every day. We're going to come home and build some chairs in our basement. And listen to, like, Steve Miller Band. Like, not knocking. I love Steve Miller Band. But I, I knew that was never <laughs> going to be able to be my life. Um, I don't want to say I'm an adrenaline junkie because, like, my idea of life is not jumping out of a plane. But I knew that I had to – I needed to keep my edge somehow. Like, you just don't come out of such a chaotic and, like – I don't want to say fulfilling lifestyle, but like it was always on the go, you know, the fast lane, there was always chaos, um, drama, but like I, at the end of the day, we are creatures of pleasure. We like feeling good. And like, I knew I needed something that was very close to shooting dope, but not shooting dope that would still kind of keep me, give me that edge. And, you know, luckily, you know, I found, you know, working out and lifting weights is like, honestly, I trust me. It's not like shooting a, a fat spoon, a crank by any means, but I think, and it, and it goes with the brain chemistry and the endorphins it gives off. There is a sense of kind of euphoria after you lift something heavier, after you leave the gym, um, that is, I don't even want to even say in the same ballpark as getting high, but it was enough. It was enough for me to still feel alive um, and still feel like, you know, I got that edge still, but it wasn't something that it was going to, like Matt says, throw a stick of dynamite to my life. It wasn't going to cause any negative repercussions yet. It was still going to. It was still going to fulfill that that little void that drugs have left. And obviously, I learned that filling the void of the the disease of drug addiction, alcoholism, alcoholism is far from just hobbies and materialistic stuff. It is at the core essence a spiritual and emotional growth but we do need especially as addicts as alcoholics to fill at least in my at least in my experience to fulfill that with something that will give us pleasure in a sense and i trust me i know tons of people in recovery so you can fill in the blanks of how people fulfill that you know fulfill that you know the sense of and need for pleasure and that instant gratification but yeah and it's the same way like um i know it's not probably in the same but like i really and i this is the funny part like to see to show how truly such an addictive personality i have like 
I would also, I say, I picked up like enjoying food, and like a lot of people might laugh at that, but like at the end, like when I was smoking a lot of crack and smoking a lot of methamphetamine, like there would be weeks I want to eat literally nothing. So I don't know if it was just like me catching up, you know, catching up on some back time, but like God, I love eating. Like I just, I just like. I, I sound super fat, especially after the first episode. <laughs> catastrophe. But, like, no, it's just something about, like, I just really enjoy food. But, like, it goes back to my addictive personality. Like, dude, if I, if I like, if I have, like, a deep, insatiable craving for Chinese food, I would literally eat Chinese food seven days a week, every night for dinner, because, like, that is my twist. So, like, I don't know. Those are the two things that I've kind of, like, those are, what I will say, those are the two things that I kind of get my satisfaction uh, for pleasure from. Well, thank God that they go hand in hand, that lifting heavy and eating heavy are beneficial. (laughs) Bro, dude, I'm getting husky as fuck. It's the sobriety 30. It's been, like, 35 minutes. I need to eat. <laughs> it's the realest thing ever. Why'd you call me out earlier? I thought it was being quiet. I didn't want to butt in on Taylor's uh, answer there. Oh shit! <laughs> My bad, everybody. That's on me. Uh, to add to what Taylor was saying, I would say that uh, a lot of you know, if you have a family member or someone you're close to um, that is going through active addiction or you know has issues. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say, I mean, I can definitely tell from just families that I've known is that you can feel a certain type of guilt about that. Like maybe you did something wrong and stuff like that. And you can even reach out to, you know, people and get advice. But what these groups do is, and I know what it did for me is there's been a lot of the, not all of it. Like there's some stuff that's unique, but there's been a lot of advice that I've been told that people who weren't a part of the program have told me it just didn't register until another alcoholic told me because there's just certain things that they can understand and relate to that unless you have these problems you're not good like you just don't understand so it's i feel like it's probably the same thing as far as you know those sort of groups go so it's just something where it's like hey at the end of the day, we're all just trying to get through this life as peaceful as we possibly can. And, you know, give it a shot and it helps. Why not? Awesome. I agree. I agree. I think they're a great thing. I know it wasn't a question for me, but um, I think it's definitely beneficial if you're if you're a loved one and you feel stuck um, not knowing how to handle it. You got people out there who are going through the same thing you are, even if it feels like they aren't. Josh, can I um, make a quick public service? Sorry if I cut you off. Yeah, sir. Did you find any – have you found any healthy addictions yet, or are you still too early He's in it? He's eating. He was eating. You, you what are you talking about, brother? I'm getting fat as fuck. Like, I'm the food thing. That's well, not like, healthy. Right. No, That's I've not healthy. Out, um, like, when I, especially, you know, I grew up athletic and everything, but pretty much once, like, all that ended, I stopped exercising completely so i've been working out and everything and like actually i'm i'm not i'm a little hard on myself i'm not getting as fat as uh, i say i am but uh i would say that like i have some stuff planned like i have a golf lesson that uh my dad's scheduling for me because you say your boy's gonna straighten out the swing get the yeah, jeter, yeah get the jeter swing uh 
you know, a little, a little corrected. And also what's funny is, is I actually have a goal of mine is to be a certified skydiver. I've been skydiving like four or five or four times and, uh, I really dig it. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that at some point, but what I've have found that's been different. Uh, the biggest noticeable thing is, I mean, some of it I've had to do, but I've also been reading a lot. Um, whether that's the books that helped me with recovery or even just a couple other things. Like I read Matthew McConaughey's uh, green light memoir, which was, uh, is really good. If anybody like wants to see something that's like kind of teaches you a little bit about life, but, and just different, like I, it's like my brain has started working a little bit, which is a little crazy. So exercising, I've been doing more of that. Got some stuff planned hobby wise. And also I've been trying to just, uh, just spend a little more time like around my like nieces just as opposed to like when I first came home, it was like, I could only like be around them for like little periods at a time before I was like, they'd almost give me anxiety just because they're kids, you know, and they're moody. And I'd be like, yeah, I get it. I'm moody as hell too. But now I'm you know, starting to try to like actually spend some more time with them and like be an uncle and be a better, just focus on being better. Just, at everything and once you once you do that enough you find out that it's bedtime pretty quickly so <laughs> i'm excited to uh see you know where you where you get to with your um hobbies and and what you truly are going to find a niche in because i think you're probably in like the experimental phase of what do i do now that my thoughts are always with me and i'm you know, of a sober mindset. So yeah, I think it'll be definitely, awesome. Definitely. I'd be lying to everybody if I like said it's something that I'm super comfortable about right now. It's definitely one of my like fears, let's say, is like who am I? Like what do I do for fun? Like and I know I know that there's stuff out there and like the whole world doesn't revolve around partying and drugs and all that. But for ten years mine did. You know, so you know, we're we're two months into it, you know, it's it's not exactly the best weather. Well it has been this week. But uh the fact is that like even when I was in San Diego, like I spent more times more uh more time with four walls around me getting drunk or high than I did at the beach that I lived fifty yards from. So it's one of those things where, you know, it doesn't really matter where you're at, you gotta go out and do stuff. And I'm looking forward to getting to the point where it's like, you know, I don't like I'm looking forward to being at the point where it's like I'm comfortable as far as I, I'm enjoying my life again and I don't need the drugs and the alcohol, but it's one day at a time, boys. And, you know, I'm feeling a little better as we go. But uh, with that, you know, it, you ride the roller coaster of emotions and I'm not the emotional disaster I was two months ago, but uh, it's still, it's still, you got to take it one day at a time. And with that, I'll find different shit to keep myself and my mind busy. For sure. Yeah. I think uh, I'm pretty stoked for the new, warm weather coming i know that uh we'll be golfing we're definitely have to set up some trips to go out and uh so i can lose a full sleeve of balls the first nine and the back nine yep. um full sleeve but... of whole balls, bro. <laughs> <laughs> i know last time i went out i tied taylor so uh that's saying something but uh I think I'll I think I'll beat him this time around. I don't think I think he's pretty much lightweight at this dude, point. I'm I don't not think he's a good golfer. Dude. I don't know why you <laughs> I know. beat me so bad. <laughs> like, you can barely get your arms around to do a swing because you're so damn massive now. So, dude, um, he's jacked. My boy's <laughs> husky, bro. <laughs> he yeah, is, when he's he, he, dude, he is three C's thick. Like, yeah, thick, 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 he's thick boy. <laughs> 
when he says that he's addicted to working out and eating, he's not lying. Definitely not lying. Nah, I, I think I, I think the uh, the biggest takeaway I had from both of your responses there was the the touching portion for me is that you guys talked about your family, um, which is awesome. Uh, you know, Matt, you talked about your nieces. Taylor, you brought up you know your your son and and your wife. And um, I know that <clears throat> I know personally with Taylor's growth. I think that was something that he he had a goal for himself was that, you know, eventually he wanted to be able to work on himself enough where he could have a wife and a, and a family. And uh, he's starting to develop that now. And Matt, I see, you know, pictures of you. Um, I You're not really on social media, but I see it shared by, you know, your, your family that you're you know, walking out with your nieces and everything. And I saw the video of you playing basketball against them. You know, it's like that, that that's the shit that you guys definitely, I, personally, I think you should focus on now. I can't tell you how to live your life, but those are the precious moments that, you know, you, you might've lost out on when you were in your addiction, but. Um, well, Josh, one of those things is that uh, be, with the benefit of being sober, most of the time when I would come home, even if I was, even if I was around, I wasn't really around. And I think Taylor would probably uh, agree with this. Like the benefit of being sober is that you, it does make it possible, not even easier, just possible to be present in the moment. And uh, for those of you that are struggling and you have families, I mean, look at your kids. Like, I mean, we talked about it, you know, there's dads that can go to sporting events and everything, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, <laughs> present in the moment and actually enjoying, you know, what you have in front of you. So uh, yeah, that's definitely one of those things that, no matter, you know, what the situation you try to take the positive out of. And even though, you know, I'm at the point where early sobriety still sucks. It's, uh, I mean, when, usually when I would be home, I would either be, I would just, you know, I'd give the kids a hug, take a picture with them and everything. And then kind of keep, go on my way, go out and get wasted. And that's how I, that was how my home visits went. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to able to be able to at least uh, do some stuff with them and I'm enjoying it. So that's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the questions, um, portion. Um, so letting people know, you know, reach out to us, ask questions. We probably won't try to do another big episode like this with just questions. I want to do episodes where we throw questions in at certain portions and that way we have progressively more questions to use in episodes. So, you know, throw them out there. We'll answer. And I think in future episodes now, I think this is where the work begins, boys. Um, I think the rubber is going to have to meet the road because now we've given our perspectives and we've answered these questions. I think what we're going to have to move towards now is more interaction, trying to get some guests on the podcast. And uh, that way it doesn't get stale. Like Matt, you were saying, we're going to be saying the same things over and over. I think that's where we have to pull some people in to share um, their stories and uh, whether that be, you know, doing an interview with somebody and allowing you guys to listen to it and then we kind of respond to it or if we do a live interactive with all three of us with the one person, we'll figure it out as we go. And if anybody out there has ideas for an episode that they'd like us to do or if anybody thinks, hey, you know, I think I have a great perspective on this and I want to share, um, you know, my perspective. I know we've had a couple people reach out and we're going to try and get them on. But and also, I think it'd be beneficial to have if you, you know, if you have a, an organization or some kind of, um, you know, thing that you want to share or an event coming up, 
you know, get on here and share it with us, especially if, you know, if it has something to do with addiction or supporting um, an organization that helps with uh, families with addiction or people with addiction or overdoses or anything like that, you know, just, just reach out to us. You can message us on Facebook. We're on Facebook at an addictive perspective. We're on Instagram at an addictive perspective, all one word, no numbers or anything like that. Pretty easy to find us follow us on there so you can get updates and uh that way you can message us as well if you know us personally shoot us a message um we're pretty easy to get a hold of other than that guys what do you do you have anything to share i know this was all questions um do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave the people with or anything like that sobriety fox (laughs) skip rocks don't smoke them (laughs) I like that. I like that. So, all right. I guess we're going to conclude episode four. As always, uh, subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next episode is going to come out. And if you like us, give us that five-star rating so that uh, people have a better chance of seeing our podcast and, and uh, hearing us. Um, I guess that's really it. So we'll conclude this Be episode. Be a friend, tell a friend, people. <laughs> If you give us four stars, I'm not even going to say. I'm not going to support that anymore. No. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. I'm shutting it down. I love you, fuckers. Love you, too. I love you, too. See you. All right. Peace. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast. We really appreciate it. And um, we hope that we can help somebody through this podcast. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to it. That way you know when the next episode comes out. And feel free to reach out with any questions or concerns. We'll try and answer them on the podcast. Other than that, thank you guys. Thank you so much.